Well, it's officially Christmas time, and so this week we uh, watched and began to read the classic A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens sometime in the 1840s. I can't remember the exact year, but if you've not read it yet or seen it yet, I'm sorry, you've had about 180 years. Due to do spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you how it goes. The story of Christmas Carol is about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge was a greedy, stingy man who loved his money more than he loved people. He didn't let his one worker even use a lump of coal to keep himself warm in the winter months because that would cost Scrooge some money. He, he didn't let him take off any extra hours. He, he counted his money constantly, and he, he hated anything that threatened his money, including Christmas, because Christmas was a time where people asked you to give to the poor. But of course, they have poor houses for people like that, Scrooge reasoned. Well, Scrooge was visited one night by his former partner, who was also a greedy, stingy man, but now was a ghost who had learned that that was not the way to live. And he warned Scrooge that the same fate was going to come to him if he didn't change. He told him he's going to be visited by three spirits. The spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas future. And I won't go into all Scrooge's journeys that night, but through the visitation of these three spirits, Scrooge, in the end, became a generous man who loved to bless others. He was transformed that night from the greedy, stingy man he was to a generous man who loved to bless others. The story of Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, is fiction. It is fiction. I'm not just saying that because of the three spirits of Christmas. It's fiction of what happens to Scrooge and how that could never happen in real life. Even the most painful regrets which the ghost of Christmas past showed. The most powerful examples that he saw from the ghost of Christmas present. Even the most terrifying prospects which the ghost of Christmas future revealed to him. Even these things cannot break a man's love of money. These things could never break a man's love of money. These things cannot break a man's greed. You know, Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Money and wealth and riches possessions get a grip on sinful hearts that nothing in this world can ungrip. But Jesus also said immediately after, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And though the story of Ebenezer Scrooge is fiction, there's another story, a true story, that happened much earlier than Scrooge's story. It's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was also a greedy, stingy man who loved money more than people. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He, he didn't just collect taxes, he stole himself to compile riches for himself in ancient Rome. Now, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming to town, what did he do? He climbed up a sycamore tree. <laughs> Had to do that this morning. I won't sing it for you. Zacchaeus was short. Jesus is coming to town, so he climbs up a tree to, to see who is Jesus everyone's talking about. And as Jesus comes by, he looks up and he sees 
Zacchaeus, and though they've never met, he knows him, and he calls him by name, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, because I'm going to eat at your house today. And what did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. He came down and received him joyfully into his home, and they shared a meal together. And everyone else that was looking on, knew, knew, this is Zacchaeus, this, this, this is Scrooge, right? This is a man who, who has stolen from us, a man who has, has betrayed his people to get rich off of us. How can Jesus eat with someone like that? But Zacchaeus didn't pay any attention. He enjoyed his time with Jesus, and he was changed by his time with Jesus so, so that what happens is Zacchaeus says to the Lord, Behold, I, I'm going to give away half of all I have. Just going to give it away to the poor. And not only that, I'm going to pay back what I've stolen. Not just pay back what I've stolen, I'm going to pay it back four times the amount that I've stolen. Zacchaeus was transformed from a greedy, stingy man to a generous man. And Jesus said, Truly, salvation has come to this house today. This is the true story, not a fiction, of how Jesus can turn even the greediest man into a generous man. A man who loves his money into a man who loves to give his money away. This morning, we're going to be finishing our series through our four ministry pillars. If you look at my right, our purpose state, we exist to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. This is our purpose as a church that we've been looking at this month. And mission, mission is our commitment to take the hope of the gospel to our community, region, and world. To, to take the good news of Jesus, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the cross of Jesus Christ to all those who are lost. This is our desire to glorify God and pursue the joy of others by taking this gospel to them that they can believe and be saved. This is our mission as a church. We do this, the one way that we have committed to do this as members is through giving. Here's our sub-commitment on the slide. If you go one forward, I commit to give generously and joyfully to the financial support of the gospel mission of Redeemer Church. We have committed to that as members. And this morning we're going to think about this commitment together. And what is the connection between giving our money and taking the gospel to the lost. What is the, what is the connection between financial giving and the gospel going forward? Well, I hope to show you that connection by the end of this message, but, but we can't start there. We need to start by digging deeper, because nobody just starts giving their money away. We said, we all have this love of money that's ingrained in us, and so giving is the fruit of a much deeper work in our hearts. So this morning, we're not going to start by just looking straight at giving. We're going to start by looking at our hearts, by getting underneath. We're going to look at the root of our giving. After that, we're going to look at the shoot of our giving and then the fruit. The root, the shoot, and the fruit of gospel giving is the outline this morning. The root is what's underneath, round, right? The shoot comes up, and then the fruit is on top. That's what we're looking at this morning in terms of gospel giving. So first, the root of gospel giving. And again, by root, I mean this. What is the most fundamental reality of somebody who gives their money to the work of the gospel? What, what, what's the most fundamental thing about that person? Where does gospel giving start? The root of gospel giving is worship. It's worship. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19-24. 
we're exploring the fundamental root of all gospel giving here. Look what Jesus says in these verses. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is dark, great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In these verses, Jesus calls us to think about our perspective and our relationship to money and to possessions and to wealth. And in these verses, he gets right to the fundamental reality, and that is our worship. Money has to do with worship. Wealth has to do with what our hearts treasure. There's two alternatives. You can either have treasure in earth or treasure in heaven, but you cannot store up both. He says, have two masters. You can either love and be devoted to and serve money, or you can love devoted to and serve God, but you cannot serve both. And that's because you cannot treasure both. Whatever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure reveals what your heart worships. Treasure God or money. This means that if you want to know what someone worships, that what you need to do is just follow the money. If you want to know what you worship, follow the money. If someone's always buying the next new thing, they probably worship their possessions. If someone's constantly spoiling their children with gifts, they probably worship their family. If someone's consumed with investing in and checking on their retirement, they probably worship security. If someone's paying for every entertainment subscription service out there, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, whoever, all of it, they probably worship ease and entertainment. But if someone's giving away their money to those in need, to their church, to missionaries, it's likely that they worship the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the Bible tells us that we are all natural-born idol worshipers. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories, just turning out idols all the time. We all come into this world, then, with a bad root. We all come with this root that worships idols. We all naturally love money rather than God. That's true of each one of us, left ourselves. We love money rather than God. So the question is, what can change us at the root? If, if the heart, the root of giving, and we want to be people who are, are giving the way the Lord said, what changes us from idol worshippers into worshippers of God? And it's the same thing that changed Zacchaeus. What changed him that day? It was a personal encounter with Jesus himself. Zacchaeus was Jesus, and fellowshipping with Jesus, and, and Jesus welcoming him and, and him and transforming his heart. The root of gospel giving is a heart that worships God. Only Jesus Christ has the power to transform our hearts to worship God. Only Jesus can do this fundamental work. Jesus said of Zacchaeus that even he is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek out those who saved them. He did that to Zacchaeus, and he is doing that still. There have been 
thousands upon thousands of Zacchaeuses to from the inside out by Jesus coming to them, calling out their name and saying, I want to eat with you today. And even this morning, Jesus is doing that. This morning, if you know that you are lost, if you know I, I am a sinner and I, I'm still in my sin and I, I, I don't have hope of forgiveness, I don't have hope of eternal life, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to be saved. If you are lost this morning, then receive Jesus joyfully like Zacchaeus did. Jesus comes to you. He knows your name. He calls your name and he says, I want to eat at your house. Think about that. Jesus wants to come into your life, your sinful life, and fellowship with you and change you from the inside out. Receive him joyfully this morning. Call out to him in faith. If you are lost, Jesus, he hears you. He's here right now. Call out to him. Turn from your sin and turn to him as your Savior and Lord of your life. Even this morning, even today, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, you can be saved and be transformed by calling out to the same Jesus who came to Zacchaeus and receiving him joyfully, and receiving a new heart. This is the most important thing I'm going to say this whole morning, is that you, if you are lost, would call out to him. Call out to him and receive Jesus joyfully. He came to seek and to save the lost. If you know you are lost, then this morning call out to him. Ask him to save you. Turn from your sin and turn to him. That's the root of gospel giving. If you have done all out to Jesus, then, then you've been given this new root. You've been given this new principle in your heart that worships God. So that's good news for gospel giving. That means that now you no longer serve money. You serve the Lord. You worship the Lord. And so let's move next to the shoot of giving. By shoot, I mean, I mean all the new attitudes that spring from that new heart that has encountered Jesus. Worship of God in our hearts, it brings about this whole new set of attitudes towards wealth and possessions. And the best place to see this in Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Jesus, or Paul, rather, is speaking to a church about giving. And, and he's, he's calling them to, to continue to collect a gift that he was he was encouraging them to give, and, and as he encourages them in this, he points them to the example of another church that had given, the church in Macedonia. And, and the thing about the church in Macedonia that he points to in their example, church, this church was, was in poverty, and yet Paul points to them as the example of giving. And as he does, he, he points to these new attitudes that are in their hearts. And I, I want us to see these attitudes that spring up from their worship of God. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 8. We'll start in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. As we think about these verses again, it's, it's amazing. Their, their wealth of generosity is what overflowed out of their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. But what attitudes do we see in this church about money? What attitudes do we see in this church about giving that, that lead to this act of giving? Well, look in verse 2. An abundance of joy. These Macedonian believers had an abundance of joy in the gospel. Their, their hearts were full in Christ. 
They, they were completely content in Jesus and in the relationship they had with him and the hope of heaven that they had and the confidence that they were adopted into God's family. All the blessings of the gospel have produced in these impoverished believers an abundance of joy that was just overflowing in their lives. This is one of the attitudes that springs from that new heart that Jesus gives us. What else do we see? Look at verse 3. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Beyond their means of their own accord. What, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of this sacrificial willingness. that They wanted to give, and they wanted to give beyond what they even could afford to give. They gave, this, this impoverished church gave beyond their means because they wanted to. It's a sacrificial willingness. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the one who said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus came to us and he willingly gave up his life for us. And that, that produces this new attitude in us that we want to give not just what we can, not just what we can afford, not just give where it doesn't hurt our budget. No, we want to give sacrificially. And, and, and not because we feel com compelled to do that. We, we, we want to do that. Not because not we're under compulsion, but rather be to. Of our own accord, we want to give. And then look at the next verse. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I just, I just picture the scene. These, these impoverished, poor believers are trying to give them money. And, and, and they're like, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't take that. You, you guys need that. And they're saying, no, please take it. We want to give. We want to bless these people. It's an earnest desire to bless others, even if it hurts themselves. And this is, they're not giving just because they have to. They're giving because they want to, even if it hurts themselves. These are, these are the new attitudes that spring up from that heart of worship that Jesus gives us when we encounter him. And we know that it's from that because look at verse 1. Look at what Paul says. He sees all these attitudes, but where does it come from? Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. So, so where do these attitudes come from? The grace of God that was given to them. Paul says it's of God's grace to these believers. He's been gracious to them, and therefore they have this abundance of joy and this, this wealth of generosity and this sacrificial desire. And then look at verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Why are they doing this? Well, because they're worshiping. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This is, this is all an expression of their worship of God. They love God. They, they, they worship Him. And therefore, they're, they're looking at their money and they're saying, how can I use this money, the money I have, to, to bless others and to love God and, and to show my joy in Christ? And they give it away. So test yourself this morning. Do these attitudes describe your heart? Do you have an abundance of joy in the gospel this morning? Do you have a willingness to sacrifice for others? Do you have an earnest desire to be a blessing to others? If you don't, if these attitudes aren't springing up in your life, then it's possible that you've never had that actual heart transformation. You may say that you believe in Jesus, but you may have never actually encountered if you don't see these attitudes in your life. Many people know who Jesus is. Many people believe 
in the facts of the gospel, but many people have never encountered Jesus and been transformed from the inside verse that result in an abundance of joy and a sacrificial willingness. And so again, if, if you are testing yourself and you see, I don't have those attitudes, that's not me. And again, call out to Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. Or maybe you see, well, I, don't, I don't have those attitudes, but, but I, I know I have and I believe I've been saved. It may be that you're just forgetting Jesus in your life. It may be that you're just not thinking of him enough. And I think that's what's happening in this chapter. Paul's writing to believers who at one point were, were giving, they were collecting, they were, they were getting ready to send this offering, but then it, it seems like they stopped. It seems they didn't persevere in this work. And Paul's writing to them to say, keep going, keep collecting, keep gathering this gift. And what does he do? Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his power might become rich. So what does Paul do? He doesn't say, guys, get it together. You better get that gift ready. No. He says, I don't, I don't want you to, to feel like you have to do this. I, I, I want you to remember Jesus. And I want you to remember that he was rich in a way we can't even fathom. The Son of God existing forever with the Father in heaven. And he became poor. He humbled himself. Time is about, right? He humbled himself, born in a manger, became a man, became a servant, died on the cross. Why? So that we, by his poverty, might become rich. And when we grasp that, then it it produces those attitudes in us again, an abundance of joy, a wealth of generosity, a sacrificial willingness. Gospel giving is a matter of the heart. It starts at the root of worship. We need new hearts. And then that new heart, as it meditates on Jesus, it brings about these new attitudes of joy and love and generosity and sacrifice. These things come from a heart that's been transformed by Jesus through a personal relationship and a heart that continues in sustained reflection on the grace of Jesus. So are you remembering Jesus? Maybe you are a believer who has encountered Christ. You've been saved by him. You've been transformed. But are you remembering him in your life? Are you taking time to think on the fact that he was rich? Think on his riches. Think on his poverty. Think on why he did that to make you rich in him to bring you, not not physical riches, not material blessings, but to make you spiritually alive and give you the hope of eternal life. Remember Jesus. Gospel giving springs from these things. And finally, we get to the fruit of gospel giving. By fruit, I mean all the actual acts of giving that we do in the heart and these new attitudes. As those who worship God and not money, as those who desire to be generous with our money, be sacrificial with our money, here's the question, what should we do with our money? Where should our money go? What should we give it to? There, there are countless ways to give our money away in this world, aren't there? Does God care what we give to? Does the New Testament speak to this at all? Does the New Testament tell us what kind of things we should give to? I believe it does. Just like we want to make wise investments in this life, also calls us to make wise investments with our money as we store up treasure in heaven. 
And as our commitment states, we should invest, what, to support the gospel mission of the church. So while it's not wrong to give to the local animal shelter, I'm not saying that's wrong, as believers, we should make investments that advance the gospel. We should give our money to advance the gospel. And the New Testament shows us three ways that we should be giving to support the gospel mission of the church. The New Testament three different ways that believers should give their money to advance the gospel. First, we should give to contribute to the needs of others. We should give to contribute to the needs of others. And you don't need to turn to these passages. They'll be on the screen, but we want to look at a few passages together here. First, in Acts chapter 2. This is the first example of giving in the early church that we see. Pentecost has happened. The Spirit has come. Peter has preached. The early church was born. And we get this description in Acts chapter 2 of the church. After this has happened, what, what fruit do we see? Acts 2.45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then again, just a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 3, person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is an amazing thing. These Christians voluntarily, willingly, realizing I have... I have all this land, I have all this stuff, I have this house I don't really need. And what are they doing? They are selling their possessions to give to others in the church who need. They're not just looking, do I have any extra to give? Which is, I think, is our tendency. Do I have any? They're saying, how can I give more? Oh, I could sell this thing and give the money. I could give the money so that 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 person has their needs met. It's an amazing picture. And no one's compelling them to do this. This was not some sort of of program or command. This was, this was the, the church willingly selling their possessions to meet the needs of others. What, what an amazing picture that we have there. This is the pattern of the early church. It's not just within the local church that we see this. In Romans 15, Paul's writing to the Roman church. He's telling them his plans. And, and we know Paul is a church planner. Paul went to make disciples. But Paul also, in his letters, talks frequently about another mission he had, and that was to go around, just like we saw in Corinthians, to collect this offering for the persecuted church in Jerusalem. And we see this in Romans, verse 25. He says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So part of Paul's mission was to go around and collect these offerings from all around the Roman Empire and these new churches so that he could take them to these persecuted believers in Jerusalem and meet their needs. This was a priority for Paul, was to meet the needs across the church. And then in Galatians 6, we see just a simple, helpful principle. Galatians 6, verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And, and you see, there's, there's this priority in the New Testament to meeting one another's needs in the body of Christ. Not that we don't meet others' needs when we can. Do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith. And, and why? Why is this so important? And how does this contribute to the advancement of the gospel? Others' needs have to do with the gospel going forward. Well, Jesus said that they will know we are his disciples by our love for each other. What, what is an unbeliever going to think when they look at a church and they see some people with much 
and someone else over here with nothing, and that person not doing anything to help them. They're, they're, they're not going to think the gospel is worth anything at all. But when a church, when someone looks and sees this, this person who has much is giving it away to help their brother who has little, and they're living together, that speaks to the love of the gospel, and that speaks to the power of the gospel. And so we should give to our needs of others. And there's an application here and an encouragement. Keep giving to our mercy fund as a church. We have a mercy fund. Every communion Sunday we, we give to this. And the reason why this fund is for this purpose, to meet the needs of others, both here and as we can in our community. And church, I just want to encourage you. This year, people have lost jobs. People have, have needed to pay bills. And our mercy fund has been fully able to, to meet those needs thanks to the consistent giving of each of you to that mercy fund. So, so praise God for that grace. Keep giving to our mercy fund. Let's continue to meet each other's needs that way. This advances the gospel. Second, we should give to support the ministry of the word. We should give to support the ministry of the word. In Galatians 6, again, same context here, just a few verses earlier, Paul says this, let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. So this, there's this principle he gives here that, that those who are receiving should, should share with the one who's teaching, should, should support the one who is teaching. And then in 1 Timothy 5, Paul makes it even clearer. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so both of these verses speak to the principle in the New Testament given by Jesus and reinstated by Paul. Those who teach the word and those who preach and those who labor in those ways should be supported that way. And, and, and the point is not the person. The point is the ministry of the word, which takes time and care and skill. And, and Paul and Jesus are both given this instruction to support that ministry. I just want to say I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for the support as a pastor, be able to give myself full time to the ministry of the Word. I've, I've been part-time before, and it is difficult to, to do that. I just, want, I just want to thank each of you for making that investment, but I also want to point out that it's not, it's not about just pastoral salaries. It's not, these aren't just verses saying, just make sure to pay your... Like the, our pillar fund here, it supports the whole ministry that we have here as a church. It supports this building, operations we can come and learn together. It supports our supplies, supports our curriculum, supports our resources, supports our pastors. And all of it is, is about what? It's about, it's about the Word of God being taught and, and, and received and people growing together. That, that's what our pillar fund is all about. And this advances the gospel. How? Because we make full-grown disciples through the ministry of the Word. But by, by the way, we all grow into the image of Christ, and, and we become more of a reflection of through the ministry of the Word. So that way, when we, when we go into our community, they're, they're, when, when they see the body of Christ, what are they seeing? They're seeing full-grown disciples. And so the ministry of the Word is critical to the mission of the church. And so again, keep giving to our pillar fund. Keep, keep supporting the ministry of the Word here at Redeemer Church. And then finally, we should give to send and sustain missionaries. We should give to send and sustain missionaries. Romans 10, look at what Paul says here. Romans 10, verse 14, How then whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
So this is the this is the logic of sending missionaries, that there are places where people have never heard the gospel. If they're going to call on Jesus, they need to believe in him. If they're going to believe in him, they need to hear about him. If they're going to hear about him, someone needs to tell them. If someone's going to tell them, then someone needs to go to them, and we need to send them. This is the, this is the logic of sending missionaries, giving financial support to those who are called by the Lord to take the gospel to those who have never heard. We should be giving our money to send missionaries. Look at Philippians 1 here. I think it's on the screen as well. Philippians 1. This is such a wonderful example of what this looks like. God, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why is Paul so thankful for them? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This church entered into a financial partnership with Paul, supporting his gospel across the Roman Empire, and they, cont- they kept it going. They didn't just send him off and say, see you later. They, they kept supporting him. Look in chapter 4, what Paul says. Verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that is the, the work of the gospel I'm doing, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So, so, so this church didn't just send Paul one time no, they, they kept up with Paul. They knew how he was doing. Now, now Paul's in prison. You know what they did when he was in prison? They, they, they chose a man, the congregation, Epaphroditus, and they essentially made some sort of care package for Paul. And they sent Epaphroditus across the Roman Empire to bring this to Paul to meet his needs. That's sustaining your missionaries. That, that is partnership. And that, that, is, that is how we should be giving to not just send, but also to sustain them, to, to enter into this full partnership with them. And of course, this advances the gospel by taking it to those who have never heard before. You know, a few years ago, when we went through pastoral transition here at the church, we lost some families. One of the big question marks was, are we going to be able to support our missionaries? We had three missionaries at the time, and we were not sure, are we going to be able to continue to support these missionaries like we have? Two years later, by God's grace, not only have we been able to support your missionaries? We've been able to add a fourth missionary couple to that as well. And I just praise God for your giving to our missions fund. And I praise God that you are invested in, in giving to the advancement of the gospel all over the world. And I want to encourage you to keep giving to our missions fund. Keep sacrificially so that the gospel can be advanced. Give to each other to our knees and our mercy fund. Give to support the ministry of the word through our pillar fund. Give to send and sustain missionaries in our mission fund. All these ways are ways that we store up treasure in heaven. And when we give, you know, what, what else? It just All of that, what it does is it shows the world our treasure is not on earth, so that we have a treasure that is better than the treasures of this earth. And that, too, proclaims the gospel. So we need to see at the very end here, look at how Paul in Philippians 4 ends what he just was saying about their gift. He calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Listen, giving, it advances the mission, but it's not about that. It's about worship. 
It's, it's, all, it's all about the heart. It's about worship. It is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When you give, whether you put it in the box or you do it online or you send a check, when you give, God sees that as a fragrant offering. It pleases him. He is delighted in the giving of his people, and he promises to supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What kind of riches is that? Riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's unfathomable riches that God says, I'm going to supply every need of yours as you pursue my glory in this life. And so church, give worshipfully and give confidently. Give joyfully and give sacrificially. Give generously and give willingly, knowing that our treasure is in heaven with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the reality that your son, who was rich, became poor, humbled himself, took on flesh, lived as a man, died on a cross, and then rose again so that we, through his poverty, might become eternally rich. We praise you, Father. We praise you for this grace, and we pray that we would be freshly moved into joy and to sacrifice and to generosity and to many different acts of giving that support the work of the gospel. We pray that you would bless us so that we can bless others in these ways, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.